welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. My name is Mr. Craigers, and I'm one of your hosts tonight. And I'm Miss Melway. I am the other host. And tonight is episode 68, where we will be discussing 2009's Zombieland. Mm-hmm. But we will not be discussing it alone. Joining us tonight for what is, in fact, our three-year anniversary special is a very special guest who I'm sure many of you know, Matt Shore of Shore Manor and the Tales from a Small Town Journalist podcast and the author of the new webcomic, Moby Dick, Back from the Deep. Back from the Deep. Back from the Deep. I like to do a little echo. A little echo. And that's very appropriate because it is about a zombie Moby Dick. Yes. It deserves the dramatic echo. So, and Matt has tons of other cool projects that um, we're going to talk to him about and he's going to tell us about. And it's going to be a really, really great time. But before we sit down with Matt and talk shop and talk Zombieland, of course, we want to do our horror headlines. Um, First and foremost... It's the third year anniversary of Splatter Chatter. It is. Yay! I can't believe we've been doing this for three years. I know. <laughs> I feel like it started on a whim. I mean, not, but it kind of did, where we were just like, we should do this. Right. There was planning, but like, I feel like the planning was only like, like a day or two before it was, we... Yeah, it was minimal planning. It was minimal planning. And here we are, three years later. I remember... I remember recording the very first episode. Do you? I do too, kind of. I remember I was in that tiny little guest room in my mom's uh, Mm -hmm. house, I believe, still. Yeah, I was in my old place. There were... A lot has happened. People have gone to different countries and come back. Come back, got spit back out. Yeah, jobs have changed, relationships come, gone. Mm -hmm. Uh... Places to live have changed. It's been wild. Yeah. But it's been really great. I like where we're at. I like what these last three years have been. Yes. And uh, after three years of steady, we've had a pretty steady listenership out there. But uh, we've definitely started to pick up in the past couple months, I think. Um, Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, Mainly also because we have... It's been three years and we have not run out of things to talk about. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. That's encouraging for for the future. Yeah. So we're feeling good. Uh, and, and thank you to our listeners. Please Colleen. keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to people who have become involved in the show. Yes. Uh, like Matt Shore. I'm not sure. I know we're so ex- we're we're really excited to talk to talk with Matt. However, what's going on in the world of horror headlines? Slash, what are some horror updates? Miss Matt, what you been up to? Um, I saw. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I finally saw Midsummer. I think I said that last time, but just I to reiterate, so. finally saw it. Um, over last weekend, the weekend before, I saw um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, yes, me too. Um, which I think, like, 
it was definitely, it was not this past weekend, it was the weekend before, because that Sunday night, I think it contributed to, like, my Sunday scaries, because, like, I had a really tough time sleeping that, that Sunday night. you had actual scaries. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was good, that was fun. Um, yeah, what did I, I just finished In Cold Blood, which isn't, you know, really horror, it's true crime, but horrifying true crime. Was that the first time you read it, or was that a Yes, it was the first time. Oh, what did you think? I thought it was great. It's like it's interesting because it's like, oh yes, this is where like true crime, modern true crime begins. Like, because it's like looking at it and you're like, oh, I can see where everyone got their their stuff from. And even like looking at like even something like Twin Peaks, like you know, that's fiction. I'm like, oh, like I can see where the profiles of these different people in this town and just the the journalistic work to build. Um, the story around, you know, around a murder, you know, it, right. I could see places where, where people had taken both fiction and nonfiction, um, from it. Yeah. Yeah. So I liked it, liked it a fair bit. Um, I'm working on putting together my, my fall reads, trying to space that slash time that correctly. I know. You don't have much time left. I don't. Last year I started in August. I actually, I started early. Yeah, um, I remember that. So yeah. I'm about to finish, for those of you who don't know, I read two books at a time and I oscillate between them. Usually one is the, the book I read at work and one's like my before bed book. Um, this is my, this is my pattern. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I'm about to finish my at work book. So I think I'm going to replace that potentially with the first of my, my first spooky, of fall spooky fall reads. We shall see. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And will you be updating on our Twitter so everyone will know? And be able yes. To I was not good about that last year. I totally like I made an entire blog post even on my website for the one, the <laughs> first book I read. The first one. <laughs> and then I just completely abandoned that because I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. Like there's a lot going on. Right now. This is a lot of work, and I have a full time job. Um, but yeah, so I I do want to do like even you know just tweet little snippets out about them or what have you. Um, I have an idea for where I want to start. I think um, I want to kind of focus on stuff that I've been meaning to read for a while, or it's been on the shelf for a while. So yeah, but what have you been up to? I've also been eyeing up, like, my spook reads for the fall, kind of making mental notes, setting some things aside. Saw scary stories to tell in the dark, of course. I liked it. Um, and I'm also getting together what movies will be included in this year's 31 by 31 challenge, mm -hmm. uh, which will start uh, shortly after we roll over into September. So. Mm -hmm. Be on the lookout for that, kids. Exciting. It's about to become our season. <laughs> the time where we thrive. It is nigh, as the kids as the kids say. I've been using that a lot recently, actually. It is nigh? Uh, just things being nigh. I like it. I love it. It's very sexy. Thank you. Um, you know what else is nigh? Our conversation with Matt Shore. Ooh. So, let's get right to it, kids. Ladies and gentlemen, gals and ghouls, chatters of all ages, please welcome Matt Shore! Woo! 
Yay! <laughs> Welcome, Matt, to Splatter Chatter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, Mel and I are both very excited and happy um, that you reached out, and we're very excited and happy to host you on the show with us tonight. I don't know if you know, but this is actually a very special episode for Splatter Chatter. It's our third anniversary episode. Hey, so. congratulations, and thanks for inviting me to be a part of that big event. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So, for for people who may not know, um, Matt, you are a horror writer across several different uh, mediums, rather, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit of a, a jack of all trades, which it seems to be the way it has to be when you're an indie writer these days. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> true story. True story. So... As a Renaissance man, when it comes to horror writing, uh, where like what were, where did you first start? Was it with your novel? Was it with your RPGs? Was it with your kids' books? Okay, the very first thing that I wrote that I actually published was a novel called Elijah, and that was a story that had been bouncing around in my head for gosh, several years, and that dealt with some some fairly heavy topics uh, centered around religion. And from there, kind of moved on to what I would say are less heavy topics with some of the uh, younger reader stuff like uh, Attack of the Zombie Source Rex and uh, Vampire Velociraptors, which those are really fun to write. And from there, so much of this stuff is just these things that kind of get in my head and they won't get out. And that's where the webcomic I've got going right now, uh, Moby Dick, Back from the Deep, it was one that just got in my head, and I had to find a way to get it out, and the way to get that out was to make it a comic. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, <clears throat> have you actually read Moby Dick? I have not read the <laughs> book itself. I've read the cliff notes. I have been exposed to it in many ways. Right. I've read, I've read the cliff notes version. And I saw, I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with this, but there was a televised miniseries starring Patrick Stewart a while back that I saw in its entirety. And then after that, I saw the Gregory Peck version. So I, I like to think I'm about as well-versed as you can get in Moby Dick without reading the whole book. But You might be more well-versed than people who do have read the book. <laughs> yeah, probably. That, that book is a, it is a slog. It's genius but it's a slog yeah i've tried it i don't know i have not tried it i don't intend to (laughs) i'll read the comic instead oh i had a moment where i was like has he read it that's super impressive i don't know if i'm qualified enough to talk to him if he's actually read it (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) don't don't give me too much credit One of the things I did do with it, though, for the for the dialogue, even though so much of the, the comic itself is based in present day, since I did bring back uh, Ahab, I wanted to really make sure I got him right. So I did a lot of research on uh, just character studies on Ahab, kind of what people think he represents and his mentality and reading over a lot of his dialogue, because I love the way Ahab talks. It's, it's fantastic. It's... I. So whenever I wrote him in my head, I kind of heard this combination of Patrick Stewart talking and uh, Barbosa 
from okay. uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, nice. I love I love that combination. Interesting. <laughs> nice. So, okay then. So, for you, what what does Ahab represent? Or is he going to represent something specific in your version of the story versus others? The, at its purest, I think what Ahab is going to represent in this story is regret. Hmm. Um, because hmm. he dedicated his life to hunting down this whale. And, uh, you know, the, the original book talked about how foolish that was because, you know, it's just an animal doing its thing. Whereas in this story, I kind of explored this notion of, okay, the whale is more than that because there were, there are, you know, uh, liter literary scholars who spend their entire lives on Moby Dick and they say that it's, that the whale itself represents so many things. There are some that say it represents fate, some say that it represents God, some uh, other kind of otherworldly things. And that's, so that's what I played with that the whale actually is all of these things in some way and that's why it's still around so ahab has been cursed to keep hunting this thing even in death so at this point he he has what he wanted he always wanted to hunt this whale but now he's been doing it for so long it's like, it's like you know i really wasted my life trying to do this thing so at his at his core ahab is going to be regret is going to be a heavy theme with ahab in my story interesting yeah. It makes me want to read Moby Dick like a little bit, but I'm going to back <laughs> off that, that impulse quickly. Yeah. What we'll probably do is just keep read? reading your webcomic. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. <clears throat> so, so what's the, what's the plan there? Do you have um, a certain number of issues mapped out or um, do you have arcs that you're hoping to complete? Are you just sort of seeing where the story takes you? What's your process? I have a very finite plan with this. It's a five-issue series. Okay. And we've completed two issues so far. Had two successful Kickstarters for those. So I have uh, physical prints that people can actually get now, which is really cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. And, thank you. Yeah. And the, But as far as future issues go, yes, they've already been written. The whole story is actually mapped out. It's just a matter of working with uh, the artist to get a new page out every week. We've kind of taken a short hiatus as of like this recording because we've just completed our second Kickstarter, but very soon we'll get back into earnest and get back to uh, our schedule has always been a new page every Friday, and once we get going, we've we've never missed a Friday. So nice, that's awesome, <clears throat> very cool. Nice. And I do have to say, the artist Joe Bilicic, even though we've never met in person, the the magic of the internet, but he's a <laughs> phenomenal artist and was really perfect for the the vision that I had for the story. Awesome. Yeah, the artwork is fantastic. There you go. Yeah, he, he, he does a great job. He really captures this sort of, what I consider like this sort of mythical, surreal feeling to it. And yeah, it, it's almost like a, a folklore story, which I love that visual. It reminds me a lot of uh, Mike Mignola, in a way. Mm. Yes. The yes. creator of Hellboy. Yes. So. Yes. It does have that feel. Absolutely. So how did, did you guys connect? I feel like that's always a process I'm interested in hearing about, especially these days, because like you said, you haven't met face to face, but you've got this partnership now. Yeah, I, I'd love to give you a really exciting, fun <laughs> story there, but it, it was just a matter of uh, 
There is a online form that is still out there and I still use every now and then called digitalwebbing.com. And it's run by creators for creators. And I just put out a call over there saying, I'm looking for an artist right now. Can people send me some of your samples of what you've done? And I got quite a few responses from that. And just in reviewing all of them, Joe's was just, it just really stood out to me. And he's been, he's been great to work with ever since. Yeah. Nice. Lucky. Yeah. Excellent choice on your part. So you hop around between uh, a lot of different mediums, a lot of different ways to tell horror stories. Is that challenging for you? Do you find yourself like switching on and off certain parts of your brain, depending on what you're working on? What's that like? It probably is some of some of it's probably kind of subconscious, but it's probably some of what you said, switching certain parts of my brain on or off, uh, because certain stories and ideas, I feel like they just lend themselves to something a bit more childlike. And an easy example is the the zombie source Rex. Just the title alone tells you this is not going to be uh, the equivalent of. Herman Melville's Moby Dick or Gone with the Wind or anything like that. It's it's going to be this kind of fun sort of sci-fi channel monster movie concept, which those are things that I grew up with. I grew up on uh, watching Monster Vision, Elvira, uh, uh, all Elvira. the late night. Yeah, all the late night horror hosts. And the more absurd the movie concept they had, the better. So whenever I that kind of a story it lends, I guess that brings out the child in me because that's what I remember. So any story where I have this really gimmicky, schlocky kind of concept like a zombie source Rex or a vampire velociraptor, it's going to be a, a story aimed more at a younger reader. Whereas where I explore kind of deeper concepts, like with Moby Dick, even though it's a comic, it's, it's a lot heavier. So that brings out a lot of the, the adult in me. Hmm. Nice. The adult versus the child. <laughs> you actually have you have another comic series as well that caught my eye. Uh, Jesus Christ, Demon Slayer. Catches a lot of people. <laughs> yes. I'm very interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> that is based on, for anyone who's familiar with it, the the, the story of the harrowing of hell, and okay. that. The way that story goes is uh, Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rises from the dead. During those three days, the story goes that he went down to hell and challenged the devil face to face for the keys to death and damnation. And in doing so, accomplished his mission of setting mankind free. There's no real direct description of this in the Bible. It's referenced here and there, but that's really about it. And... I think theologians debate it. I mean, I mean, there are people within devout Christian circles who don't even believe that really happened. And I just, it's such a powerful concept. It just really evokes some really cool images of like Jesus going down into hell and challenging, you know, his ultimate adversary. So yeah, and the idea was actually given to me of all, by, of all people, a, a youth minister that I happen to know I <laughs> <laughs> was talking about this as a story. He said, you know, you could really do something with this. And I, I held on to it. And 
I don't know how long it was between then and when I actually put out the script for it, but yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Just taking this very vague notion of Jesus challenging the devil and really playing it up and playing with it of Jesus fighting monsters and demons and all these things in hell. And I, I did research there too. So like even the, the sword that he carries this flaming sword, that's the sword of the angel that banished Adam and Eve from Eden and that's what he uses to go fight the devil. I'm gonna have to to buy these these issues. I think um, it's interesting. So you've got you've got a couple works then that use um, kind of religious stories and um, the relig- Judeo Christian backbone as a starting point, um, which is fascinating because I feel like there is a lot of um, Judeo Christian. Uh, motifs weaved throughout horror you see that with exorcisms and that sort of thing but i feel like this is a completely unique take on that um where does that come from i guess well i grew up in the bible belt and it's impossible to get out of the bible belt without christianity in mm-hmm. your bones at some level anyway and uh so when that uh it shaped a lot of my childhood and it still shapes me today, in fact. Mm. And so that's just where a lot of that inspiration and ideas come from. A lot of the, I think a lot of the concepts, uh, I'm, this is probably a horrible comparison, but uh, it makes me think of uh, Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay. He, he, wasn't, mm. he wasn't writing a religious allegory per se, but he was deeply Catholic. And you can definitely see kind of the mentality of somebody with, deeply held religious beliefs and the just the concepts and the good versus evil kind mm, of archetypes yeah. that he created for that story and and I am nowhere near the level of Tolkien I'm sure but it's certainly <laughs> but who same, <laughs> right right but I, I think on the same level it it, it, ins- it inspires me it influences me it informs me the type of storytelling that I like to do nice it's very it's very interesting um it's exciting stuff I think I might have to to buy this comic. <laughs> well, you can certainly, you can do that on my website, matchshore.net. Awesome. 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 So I kind of want to know a little bit about um, the RPGs you're, you were involved in making. You wrote the stories for two different ones. Yes. And that was, boy, that was a real chance meeting. And it, I say chance meeting. It was once again, the magic of the internet, but, <laughs> it was a it was a lot of fun doing those. I bet. Uh, but yeah, that was for Pinnacle Entertainment Group. I did two separate ones. The first one I did, it was a they called it a creature feature for their East Texas University uh, RPG scenario, where I, they wanted they wanted this kind uh, of. I don't want to call it a character study. It was like a, a sort of bio, a study in this creature that they had come up with called the uh, La Bruja, which is based on the uh, Mexican folklore about witches. And so I said, okay, I'll, you want like this one thing? They said, no, we want four different types of brujas. So I said, okay. And I thought about that and this goes back to if anybody's familiar with Magic the Gathering, the card mm-hmm. game. Yeah. <laughs> played, played that a lot. In Still high have school. all my, my cards. Well, one of the things that I did with that was, you know, you have all these different colors you can use. Well, me and mm-hmm. my buddies would constantly just focus on one. 
Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do these witches. Like one will be a plains witch. One will be a, okay. a swamp witch. One will be a forest witch. So mm-hmm. I had to come up with this concept for the witch. Then they said, okay, but we also want an adventure based on these witches. So then I just came up with different scenarios, almost all of them based on slasher films where, uh, like the, I think the swamp witch, if I remember, they went to the, the concept is you and your friends go to this big uh, raver out on like the local lake or something. And the witch shows up, causes all kinds of chaos, and then you've got to, you've got to escape. And then with the, I think the plains witch, or excuse, a mountain witch, I remember, like you go up into the mountains on this archaeological dig with one of the professors. And of course, you can imagine you come across this witch and then you've got to escape from her. And, it, it kind of goes on from there. It's always some kind of scenario where, based on the, the type of witch it is, you get stuck and you got to fight your way out. I'm so <laughs> into it. <laughs> that part was fun, but the, yes. the real eye opener was the because uh, I had done RPG when I was in high school a little bit. I was not as hardcore as other people, but I thought that I knew how it worked, but when you're on the other end actually creating that stuff, it is so detailed and involved and mm. the uh, figuring out like, uh, you know, what type of dice rolls that you want for every specific scenario. And they would come back and tell me every little thing that I did wrong and I had to fix it. And it was just, it, it was a great experience, but it, it sure was a lot of work a few times. Yeah. How long did that take you then to, create everything start to finish that process i believe that creature feature i'm going to say that took about three to four months okay that's a good chunk of time for yeah i just from start to finish um it's hard to really gauge it because so much of that is kind of you know as you find time since it's all you know contra independent freelance stuff but three to four months <clears throat> pardon me that sounds about right Wow. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we are ready to start talking zombies. What do you guys think? Yes, always. I'm good with zombies. Right. So our main discussion this week, Chatters, is a look at 2009's Zombieland. Uh, Of course, as many of you know, the sequel... Is on its way to theaters in October, so it's time we take a look back at all of the trouble that Woody Harrelson and Co. got into back back in the day. It actually took me a really long time to watch Zombieland. I did not see it in theaters, and for the longest time, I had not seen it, and everyone was referencing it, and I had no idea what they were talking about. You've always been somewhat zombie resistant. I, feel. I know, and I still am. I don't know what it is. It's not that I actively dislike zombies. It's just that it doesn't excite me, I think, the same way as, like, anything else. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I love zombies. Yeah, see, that's, yeah, everyone, <laughs> that's everyone's favorite, you know, people, you name their monsters and they love zombies and people are making zombie stories and, like, I read things and I'm like, oh, this sounds, this book about zombies sounds so interesting and... I just I don't know. I like 28 Days Later. I like kind of like the feral um, sort of epidemic rabies fast zombie type deal, I think. Mm-hmm. I can do so that. Getting, so getting into semantics, is it fair to call 28 Days Later zombies? Because they're uh, technically uh, still alive, aren't they? Yeah. See, this is, yeah. See, that's, <laughs> <true>. <laughs> that's one of the great debates. Yeah. yeah. 
See, but the thing is, is I also like um, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm just weird. Uh, we all are. We're all weird. <laughs> Everybody's weird in their own way. Act accordingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Matt, did you see Zombieland in theaters when it first came out? I did not. I actually missed that one. But as soon as it was out on uh, DVD, I did. I did pick that one up and watch it. Yeah. I feel like I didn't see it in theaters either. And so for my own like personal memory of it, I was like, oh, it was kind of a, a sleeper hit. But it really wasn't. Yeah, no, people were on it very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And like you look at the box office numbers and it totally killed. Yeah. But um, yeah, so yeah. let's talk zombie. Life. All right. So, Matt, as the guest of honor. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be so kind enough to give us a, uh, a brief synopsis of Zombieland? Start us off at the beginning of the plot. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. it kind of sprung that on you. Yeah, it's it's so simple, and yet there's so much to that thing. <laughs> yeah. The the, uh, the basic gist is we start out with uh, Columbus who. Uh, and he is one of the survivors of, because we never find out exactly how the apocalypse started. We're about two or three years removed. So he's a survivor and he breaks down his rules of survival for us. And he, in the process of surviving, meets up with uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, Tallahassee. And then he meets up with um, the two girls, Emma, uh, Emma Watson and or Emma, Emma Stone, sorry. One of the Emmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of those super talented Emmas. Yeah. And her sister, whose name is, escapes me. And they become this sort of, at first, very reluctant family, but over the course of the story, get close to one another and then realize that they actually need one another. And I think isn't the, the big lesson for Columbus as the story concludes is that uh, there's more to life than just surviving. Uh, family is important and, and having something to live for, even even in a zombie apocalypse. Yes. Yeah. See, that was perfect. <laughs> you did it. Especially since, you know, we didn't tell you that we were going to make you do that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, that's that sums it up, though, too, and I love that you pointed out that um, it's about, you know, a group of people discovering family and relationships uh, over um, just plain survival because we often like to to hammer home here is that, you know, horror movies, genre movies, what have you, are never about what they're about on paper. Um, and I think Zombieland's a good example of, yeah, it's a zombie apocalypse and it's it's fun and there's blood and guts, but it's about a group of people who, you know, learn how to live together and how to live together well. And... Uh, I think that's part of why it, it's fun and it's heartfelt. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, it's very heartfelt. I think that's why I like zombie movies, I guess, is because that was the first niche of horror where I really discovered that there's more to it than the than the monster on screen. It's actually all about humanity in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of marrying what you were saying, Miss Mel, mm-hmm. and what uh, Matt brought up so brilliantly in his synopsis of the film. Uh, kind of how we begin 
the movie, you know, the, the Star Spangled Banner is playing. Um, and then the national, like, that national anthem being paired with an American flag, being totally askew. We get that shot of the Capitol building completely, like, run down. Drooling zombies are everywhere. It's very much like, this is the new world order, and it's been this way for a while. Mm-hmm. The zombies are in charge. It's not the United States of America anymore. It's the United States of Zombieland, the opening narration. And I feel like that is maybe something we could look at as a commentary on the decade that had just, that was coming to a close when this movie came out, right? Um, Everything that had happened between 2000 and 2009, Bush versus Gore, the 9-11, Katrina, it was kind of a pretty toxic time. And I feel like when we open the film, it's very much setting this stage of very much a commentary on that, right? Mm -hmm. One of the first things we learn about this zombie virus is that it starts by making you hateful. Yes. Which I think is a key detail. Yes. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like there was a lot of... um, I think we brushed on this a little bit in our previous episode about um, nuclear apocalypse decor, um, is post, specifically post 9-11, you get a lot of stuff about apocalypse, about the end of the world. Um, you know, people were obsessed with 2012. There were movies about that. Um, but I, th- I like what you point out about the beginning there, because it is, it's almost so on the nose <clears throat> in doing that. But, um, it works so well because I don't think it ever really truly comes back to it in that way. Like it's very, mm-hmm. it's very present in those first couple shots. And then it goes, it, it's almost like it, it funnels down. It starts the big picture, the state of everything. And then it funnels down to these four people who kind of represent what's left of, of um, social order and what we would still recognize as, as humanity uh, in this world. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we've got Jesse Eisenberg's Columbus as our uh, intrepid narrator and our protagonist. He was very much the quintessential antisocial shut-in. He has irritable bowel syndrome. He has chronic (laughs) anxiety, uh, not to mention OCD. Before whatever went down went down, he was totally living in a bubble of World of Warcraft and Mountain Dew and uh, Delivery Pizza. Completely checked out. And yet, several years on, he's one of the few survivors left and he equates his previous lifestyle as the reason he's been able to cope because he has such a strict set of rules. But then he runs into Tallahassee, Woody Harrelson's Tallahassee, who agrees to take him on as a companion. I kind of want to take a moment here and see what you guys think. Why does Tallahassee agree to let Columbus join him? It doesn't really seem like his style. That's true. I Maybe. I mean, I feel like... I don't know if it's, I wouldn't even say it's the obvious, but I guess it's like the easiest answer is the uh, connection to 
his own um, deceased son, mm-hmm. who we find about about later, um, who we spend the movie thinking is a puppy that he needs to find, but is in fact his uh, his son who passed away as part of the the um, fatalities of the zombie apocalypse. I mean, but that feels like the easy answer, right? Is like you know, and maybe that it's you know Occam's razor, but. Um, it feels like, you know, the easiest way to to say that that's what kind of gets things kicked off story-wise. Um, mm-hmm. That's always been my reading of it. Yeah. I can see that. It feels like uh, it very much like a, a father-son relationship, but the father is more like a stepdad. Mm-hmm. It's like... <laughs> you're not you're not my son but you definitely need my help right since there's nobody else here i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it yeah i like that idea not father son but stepfather son specifically you know yeah which which i think works very much with the idea right of the ad hoc family that they end up forming with with top and little rock um and Columbus slowly realizing that his rules aren't going to be what saves the day in the end. Um, because some rules are made to be broken, kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always set back up. Um, but yeah, so Wichita and Little Rock. So Wichita and Little Rock. Pre-existing interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what are, I guess, what are our thoughts on, on, cause I think it's interesting that there's definitely a lot around the two of them, um, prior to them even meeting, uh, Tallahassee and Columbus because they meet them by conning them. They pretend they're sick, they're hurt, take all their guns and their food and their car and drive off. Um, and they've probably played this trick a few times on people. Uh, because they're, you know, as we learn in the film, their goal is to get to um, Pacific Pacific Playland, Pacific Playland, yeah. Disneyland, essentially, um, where they're told that uh, there are no zombies and it's an amusement park. Um, but I always found just kind of the pair of them on their own very interesting. Um, I don't know. What are your readings on 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 them before before we meet them even? So, all right, so this is probably not going to specifically answer your question, but maybe I'll loop around to it. We'll we'll see what happens on this journey. (laughs) So, you know, I I rewatched it prepping for the episode. I was taking notes. I was looking at some stuff online and um, it was John Kenneth Muir's essay on it where he brought up... um, the sisters, but all of the characters really being specifically named after American cities and specific American cities, which I had never really given all that much thought to. Um, and he equates it to, he makes connections to important stuff that was going on at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Tallahassee obviously is in Florida, the state that handed Bush the 2000 election. Uh, Columbus is in Ohio, which handed Bush the 2004 election. Wichita, Kansas, 
Uh, he posits that it might be um, a reference to, of course, The Wizard of Oz, but more likely Thomas Frank's What's the Matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. Um, and Little Rock being Arkansas, home of uh, Bill Clinton, the first president to enter the 24-hour news cable cycle. Um, so I was, I feel like I was very much fixated on their names and trying to make and hmm. trying to make connections between the characters and what he was was claiming, but I don't know that I got anywhere with that. And looking at sisters and like the, if there was any specific symbolism behind their names. Interesting. I know. Not necessarily what I was going for, but very interesting because I did not think about kind of because it isn't you know it's like okay of all the cities the the notable cities in the country why are those the four mm-hmm. um i don't know it's interesting i don't know i think for i think when it comes to the to the sisters they do a great job of like obviously Columbus and Tallahassee get the wool pulled out from under them, mm-hmm. right? But the whole con in the the grocery store, they take the guns, they take the cars. But we're all, we're also fooled too as yeah. a view because we we trust them in theory, or we believe that that Abigail Breslin is dying. So I don't know. Maybe there's something we could read into there about the idea of women being con artists or women culturally being more trustworthy, but then they're not. I don't know. Is that kind of what you were thinking? I was just, well, sure. <laughs> I was also just thinking in general, like kind of looking at, you know, like how you at, you, you asked the question, why does Tallahassee take Columbus on just kind of, um, you know, Wichita, Little Rock, um, they call it, you know, they're like, oh, she's, you know, we're sisters. They have different hometown names, you know, what have you. Just basically, like, I like lo- I like looking at, you know, the, the backstory that they give about the pair of them and just, I don't know. I find it interesting. I think the thing yeah. with this entire movie is that you could basically make another movie about any one of these characters before this movie happened. And it would mm-hmm. still be interesting. <laughs> I would watch a Zombieland prequel, wouldn't um, you? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I think it's that, like, with this specifically with Tallahassee um, and the sisters more than Columbus, I guess, just because we're so close to him. It almost, you know, it feels like we come in in the middle of their stories or like three quarters of the way through whatever it is they were going through before um, we met them. And I think that's a really good just overall function of this movie, like how you said, you know, we start out like we're several years into this to the point where we don't even really need to explain how it happened because people are past that. Now it's not an origin story. It's a, this is the state of the, you know, state of the union, um, as it were state of affairs for all of us. Um, and I just thought they were a good example of kind of like, this is a feature of this world. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. these two are a, a feature of this world that, that exists before we met them in the script and, you know, would have continued afterwards. Um, if, you know, it had been a ships in the night situation. It's just, it's interesting because it's almost like world building, you know, right? It's like when you're playing Skyrim and you meet the random bar 
maid who's got like a quest for you and you find out about some conspiracy in a local like I just I love stuff like that where there's like all these sort of little side um side things and it makes me interested just to see you know what else goes on in in this world yeah and we also kind of like how we we see how Columbus's existence in his previous life is what has kept him alive mm -hmm. after the zombie apocalypse. Like we get that with the sisters as well. Yeah. They essentially haven't changed who we, they are up until this point, And that's why they're still alive. Yeah. And yeah, they all have a real survivalist mentality in, in their own unique ways. Whereas like with Eisenberg, it's all, it's very remain closed off. Don't make friends. Uh, just take care of yourself. The girls, they, they look out for each other, but it's a very sort of uh, almost mafia-type mentality. Like, look, it's nothing personal. We just want to survive. And Tallahassee is, he's basically just the, the quintessential American John Wayne. Just like, just be tough as nails and gritty and raw, and that's how, that's how he'll survive. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they all seem to go through the same sort of character journey by the end. Like, the end of the story, they realize they need each other. And in the, the trailer for the sequel, it looks like we're really seeing the next step of that because every image we have of them is being a family. All the, the jokes and the, the fun stuff we see is, like, you know, sisters and dads and all just making mm -hmm. fun of one another because of their character flaws and quirks and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to move into talking about that or the yeah, double tap we, yeah we can tease double tap a little bit so October 18th I believe is the release date Ooh, confirmation on that from my good friend Wikipedia it is yes October 18th yes. The premise is as follows. After the events of the first film, Columbus, Tallahassee, Wichita, and Little Rock move to the American heartland as they face off against evolved zombies, fellow survivors, and the growing pains of the snarky makeshift family. Love it. <laughs> I, I have one big question after seeing that, that trailer, and who is paying the electrical bill right now? Yeah, because <laughs> all the lamps and light switches are all working just fine. Right, right. <laughs> Something that I think maybe the the zombie genre doesn't always address, does it? Yeah, yeah. like plumbing still works. <laughs> <laughs> like I saw that that Discovery Channel series After Humans or whatever it was, History Channel. I know that these things would stop working in seven that. to eleven days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the only one that ever comes close really is The Walking Dead, where everybody is all sweaty and filthy all the time. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. And they've got the long form storytelling going for them, so they have time to get into that. This is true, yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I think Double Tap will be a lot of fun. Uh, Rosario Dawson is joining yes. the cast, who is just amazing. That's Nevada. Yeah. Um, and apparently Bill Murray is back. Um, in some in, capacity. <laughs> in some capacity, which should be very interesting given his death in the first one. I hope it's zombie Bill Murray. 
Yeah, that, that's, was, what, that's what I was thinking. It kind of had to be, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Unless he left some kind of a video will for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flashback. I, I could see him doing that for the world. I could see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say as a whole on Zombieland, and I assume Zombieland 2, Double Tap, um, I think it's, it's you know, because it's in there as a, as a zombie, as a horror zombie comedy film. Um, right. And so I recently just watched um, Dead Detectives. I think yeah. I, I don't know if I mentioned that in the, in our little, um, Horror headlines, but I watched Dead Detectives, um, and that was like one of the best, I think, renditions of, of comedy horror that um, I've seen in a while. Just because it did such a good balance of being fun and being funny, and also being like legitimately um, frightening. Um, Zombieland, I feel like, takes a different. It's not so much that it's horror; it's that it uses um, the horror aesthetic and kind of the horror expectation of a zombie movie as its kind of backdrop, but the majority of it is just a sort of buddy film. Um, so I don't know. I guess I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, where you think it stands as a, as a horror comedy film. I think it's one of the best. Mm-hmm. I think it's up there with... Shaun of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, um, Fright Night. Okay. Like, I think if, so. If if we think of horror as a genre that holds up a mirror to society and wants us to scream, then horror comedy, I think, is supposed to be the genre that holds up a mirror and wants us to scream and laugh gotcha. at the same time. And so looking at Zombieland through that lens, like, yeah, I would say, oh, yeah, that is our society. And it's fucked and kind of terrifying, but it's also hilarious. Nice. I think you sum it up pretty well. Uh, I would classify Zombieland as, and this is not a knock, but as zombie movies go, perhaps the most mainstream in a sense, because the, the themes and everything that it deals with, you know, family and uh, kind of love are, are very mainstream topics that you get in big budget Hollywood films. Whereas like with your, your older zombie films like George Romero with Dawn of the Dead and all of his, it's very political, mm-hmm. very dark yeah. social commentary. Where in Zombieland, you you have all of this kind of dark and stark imagery, but there is still this very clear thread of of hope for a society that you know people can still have fun, they can still be happy together. There's still a way for that to happen. And again, that's not a knock. Uh, in many ways, that's I mean, that's a good thing. It sets it apart as its own thing. So. That's I think that's how I would view Zombieland. If I had if you're gonna have, if I have to pick a favorite zombie comedy, Shaun of the Dead still just holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, because that that was the first time I ever saw a zombie movie that made me laugh, and it was just so <laughs> amazing for me at the time. It's 
it's going to be hard to top that experience. I got to see that at like a little artsy theater in St. Louis too. So that's perfect. Yeah. A lot of contributing factors that make that movie special for me. Yeah. That's nice. I love that you brought up the point of hope that, that the movie kind of gives you that, uh, humanity or society isn't completely, fucked over by what's happened there is a chance to rebuild there is a chance to mm-hmm. to rise from the ashes so to speak and it's yeah, so, many, so many of them don't do that yeah no not at all yeah romero even with his upbeat endings it's still basically hinted that it's just a matter of time before this all falls apart right so, zombie land presents a very different message like it may be the new reality but there's still hope for a life in it yeah you just have to keep going forward break the forget the rules and make new ones right i'm curious to see if there are some new rules in this this film i feel like there's gotta be i know right (laughs) it's interesting because it's 10 years later but it's also at the end of a different decade so i wonder what they're ah i'm so excited it's gonna be fun yeah so, all right, I think we should close out the discussion on Zombieland by going round robin. If you were a character and you were joining their ad hoc family, what would your place name be? What would your city be? I mean, I come from the land of gritty, so. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta just own it, you know. You gotta own it. Yeah. You do. Would you have people call you Philadelphia, or could we could we call you Philly? You can call me Philly. I feel like Philadelphia. Oh. I would like get dead if you like tried to say Philadelphia like to get my attention before something boring. happened. Exactly. I would. It's too many syllables. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> Matt, what would you adopt as your name? I would have to be Clarksville. It's my hometown. It's where my wife and I moved to, and we've been here seven years, and we really like this place. And just as important, even though most people would recognize Nashville, which is right next door, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be that because I think everybody would associate me with country music. And <laughs> I, am, I am the farthest thing from a country music guy. So <laughs> oh, Clarksville, boy. that's me. So Clarksville it is. <laughs> Well, I currently live in D.C., but I don't think that's a very zombie land. Oh, um, D.C. Well, maybe. Nah. Could we call you District of Columbia? You cannot. That, <laughs> if Philadelphia is too long and you'll end up dead, I'll definitely end up dead. District of Columbia. No. But I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and I feel like Pittsburgh is a name that would fit in well with, mm-hmm. with the characters in the movie. So I would take on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. (laughs) Right. Nice. (laughs) So, Matt, before we uh, close out episode 68, we would love to just talk a little bit more about your work and your projects. So, uh, Moby Dick, Back from the Deep, currently has two out of five planned issues, right? You said five? Yes, yes. 
and um, you don't have an active Kickstarter right now, but is what's what's the timeline for issue three? Can people be keeping an eye out for that soon? Or I know you said you were kind of taking a hiatus. Yeah, there. Uh, the artist Joe is already working on those pages, so I would say in the next cu next couple of weeks, I've actually already got the cover for it. Mm -hmm. So definitely in the next couple of weeks, you'll start seeing pages again, and then we will get right back on schedule every Friday in earnest with a new page, and people can they can read it online for free at backfromthedeep.com, or if they would like the old issues in print, you can go to my website mattshore.net and. And order them from me direct there. I'll I'll even sign them for you if that's makes the deal for people. Ah, that's <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Just know that given my current status as a writer, that would actually depreciate the value of these comics. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking to resell, right? Yeah, but when you but when you break crazy big and you become the next Stephen King, then. They'll be worth right, yeah. all kinds Absolutely. of all kinds of fortunes. Yes, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so and um, so, back from the deep is a finished webcomic, as you said. So, are you working on anything new right now? Well, it's actually not finished. Like the script oh, is finished. finished. The yeah, script, the script is finished. But so, I'm still working with Joe on each page. Gotcha. But, yeah, I, I do have other things uh, out there if people want. Of course, there are my uh, young readers' books, Attack of the Zombie Source Rex, uh, Scourge of the Vampire Velociraptors, and others. If people want to check those out, of course, you can get all, those are on Amazon. You can also get them from my website as well. And I have another young readers' book, this time getting a little bit away from horror, but it's called That Time I Saved the Universe, mm. which I did as an online novel, which just uh, finished up. And that one I'm looking at putting in print uh, probably beginning of next year. That one is a, a marriage of some things that I, other things that I really grew up loving, like science fiction and superhero stories. So there's a little bit of that in there. Actually, there's a lot of that in there. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the big things right now that I've got going on. Uh, I've got ideas swirling around my head for other comics, just haven't. I haven't put them on page yet. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a lot to be juggling. Yeah. Sometimes when I stop and look at it all, it's like, wow, how am I doing all this? Along with having two kids. <laughs> it's, yeah. the no, it's the no yeah. sleep that... Uh, it's never having to sleep again. Yeah, right. since I'm not sleeping anyway, I might as well be productive with my time, right? Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, the, uh, the other, I almost forgot. The other thing I've got going on, we, I do also have my own podcasts. Uh, I have one that I do every month called Tales from a Small Town Journalist, which is all about just the, uh, I was a journalist for 10 years and had just some of the goofiest and weirdest experiences dealing with the public that you just don't hear stories like that, I think, from any, any other industry. Like uh, in the very first episode, I talked about the time that I rode with a sheriff in this manhunt that had lasted for two days. And I was right there when it ended because the suspect tried to hitch a ride with an Amish buggy. Oh, and God. Just, <laughs> and small town being what it is, it just so happens that the Amish guy and the sheriff guy were really good friends and knew each other. <laughs> so 
Oh my oh goodness. My gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a stuff. lot of stuff like that. And other, other, I interview other reporters who have their own weird stories. Cause, yeah. Cause journalists, we, we have some weird experiences. <laughs> yeah. But on top of that, on top of that, back in the, the horror vein, my wife and I are huge Halloween enthusiasts, just Ooh. obsessive about it. So we started doing our own little podcast there that we do kind of a, a seasonal one, which is going to be starting up at the end of uh, this month of August. We'll do every week until uh, Halloween. It's just all of, all about Halloween and spooky stuff and stuff that we enjoy. That's awesome. That's called That one's called the Shore Manor Podcast because we call our home Shore Manor during oh, Halloween. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's <laughs> I haven't what? named my new. We we in in college we called our apartment Ragnarok, but that was yeah. that was less fun. I got to come up with a new fun name for. I know. I haven't named my current place either. Slacking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so do you have anything like super exciting coming up for Shore Manor? Any awesome decorations you guys have stockpiled for this year or anything? I like to think what we do every year is awesome. Good <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the The coolest one so far had to be last year. And this is just another illustration of the, the type of people my wife and I are. My wife's birthday present, which is in the middle of summer, I got her a life-size horse skeleton prop <gasps> that, she, that she then nicknamed Daredevil from the, the Sleepy Hollow movie with Christopher Walken. <laughs> That is perfect. Adorable. <laughs> yeah. So everybody calls that the the best birthday present I've ever given her. It's, it's like great. I got a lot more birthdays. I've got to do good gifts on now. <laughs> but that's that's the wildest one out there so far. Like we have a we have this enormous life size crypt that we doubles for storage. That's uh, like Dracula's tomb, and you know it has a born-on date, and then like a death date that gets xed out, and then there's another one, and then that's xed out. It's like half a dozen times. Oh boy! And uh, what else do we have? We have a full graveyard. We've got uh, Amanda has this. My wife Amanda, she has this pumpkin patch with Jack Skellington out there with hay bales and probably three or four dozen pumpkins. And we invested at the end of the year, end of last year, beginning of this year, we were able to get this enormous blow up uh, sort of horse drawn carriage with a skeleton at the wheel. We don't normally do blow up decorations, but we we're able to get this thing for like about 30 bucks and it's huge. So we just said, we, we can't pass that one up. So <laughs> now that one will grace our yard this year. Nice. nice. Now, do you live in a community that is really into Halloween and embraces it they, as well? They do now. They had little choice after we moved in. <laughs> we have we have shamed a lot of our neighbors into decorating a lot more than they used to when we first got here. Yes, that is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and we get, we get quite a few trick-or-treaters, so that makes it a lot of fun, too. That's awesome. Yeah, you're... Your kids are, are very young. You said, oh, yes. are, are they, I guess, is your oldest into Halloween or starting to get into Halloween as well? He's three years old, so he's. I think he's still just figuring some of this stuff out. But he, <laughs> he is old enough now to start 
choosing his own uh, costumes. So Ooh. like last year he got this, he called it a dinosaur because he's super into dinosaurs as every young boy is, of course. And it's, uh, it was really a dragon. It was one of those costumes that sort of <laughs> looks like you're riding it, but Aww. he wanted it to be a dinosaur. We, so we said it was a dinosaur. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Dinosaurs. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who, who's to say that there there weren't dinosaurs out there that breathed fire and could fly? With the with the yeah. Yeah. We don't for the comments, but I am a firm believer that dragons once existed. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Matt, where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast? Where can they connect with you? And where can they support your work? Okay, podcasts are on. Pretty much all the main ones, you know, there's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. There's probably something else I'm leaving out, but it's all the main ones. And of course, mm-hmm. we also post it on uh, Facebook and on uh, uh, YouTube. So just if you search for Tales from a Small Town Journalist or Shore Manor, it'll definitely turn up. And on Facebook, we have our own Facebook page called uh, facebook.com slash Shore Manor. You can find out all of our news and stuff about my projects our podcasts and so much more <laughs> anything and everything we we put on that facebook page uh outside of that there's of course there's you know my website which i i think i did a cheap plug earlier mattshore.net and speaking of cheap plugs then uh, m-a-t-t-s-c-h-o-r-r.net let's just go full bore with that yes <laughs> Uh, of course, you can also reach me on uh, Twitter at the Mad Shore. I'm also on Instagram at the Shore. I think that covers everything. Uh, get it, if you wanted to find out Moby Dick, uh, he is. I've got a Facebook page up for the Zombie Whale as well. Just Facebook.com/slash Back from the Deep. You go have updates there whenever there's a new page or any any news about that. I'll I'll be post a notice about this episode as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And we will be sure to uh, post your links as well and make sure that people are able to find you. You are too kind. Thank you. Yeah, no trouble at all. Well, thank you again so much, Matt, for joining us tonight, especially since it was such a special episode for us. It was really, really fun having you on. Yeah. Oh, oh, thank you so much as well. It was, yeah. It's great to talk zombies with some folks. Haven't been able to do that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are welcome back on the show anytime. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, please give our regards to your wife and the kids and um, have a very fun and exciting fall season and Halloween season. And uh, post pics of the, yeah, the fun de- decorations. Oh, don't worry. There'll be a lot of photos. Photos, video, we'll, we'll do all of it. Awesome. I really want to see that giant skeleton horse. <laughs> he's actually already on there. so uh, he's, oh, there. he's a constant decoration. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not out, but I've got pictures of him. Oh, there's pictures? Good. Yeah. I'll have to make sure we check that out. Awesome. Yeah, I can't quite leave him up year-round. We might get a few comments from people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then your, your neighbors might not be as supportive. Yeah, they, they lose its luster then. nice awesome well thank you again and uh everybody be sure to check out um 
Matt's work, mattshore.net. Uh, find him on Twitter, find him on Facebook, um, and find his podcast on all of the major platforms. Indeed. Uh, we'll be talking to you online as well. All right, great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so that is going to wrap up our discussion on Zombieland with Matt Shore. Woo! From the Shore Manor podcast and Tales from a Small Town Journalist and the author of Moby Dick Back from the Deep. And Jesus Christ, Demon Slayer. And Jesus Christ. Make people aware of that. Slayer. As I am adding that to a cart. <laughs> now. <laughs> That sounds incredible. Yes. Uh, so this has been a great third anniversary episode, I should yeah. say. Right? Yeah, definitely, definitely um, more interesting than and more varied than what we've done in the past for our our anniversary episodes. With the one anniversary episode we had before. <laughs> yeah, I think we skipped last year, didn't we? Yeah. We were like, yeah, whatever, we're fine. But we're three now. We're officially a toddler. We are a toddler. Toddler podcast. So if you've been enjoying the show, there are ways you can uh, engage with us and support us and reach out to us much in the way that Matt Shore did. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Mel, how could they do that? They can do that by, first of all, sending us an email at splattershatter669 at gmail.com. Uh, we promise to check it more regularly. <laughs> um, you can tweet us at SplatterChatter666. Uh, you find us on Twitter by typing that in, minus all the vowels. But if that is too difficult, uh, you can just search regular old SplatterChatter. We will pop right up. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at SplatterChatter666 on Instagram. There's no dot. Um, you can find us on Tumblr at SplatterChatter.tumblr.com. And you can find Mr. Krager's blog at SplatterChatter666.blogspot.com. Soon to potentially have a newer, bigger home. Um, he can tell you more about that when when the time comes. Um, but in the meantime, he will tell you about how you can become an even more involved uh listener of the podcast yes show us your love show us your involvement and do so by going to our patreon page at patreon.com slash flatter chatter 666 if you choose to pledge a monthly donation to us we're going to hit you back with all kinds of cool special perks in order to show our gratitude however if you really can't stretch your wallet right now that's okay Give us a rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud because that helps as well. And it uh, mm-hmm. helps people take notice of our show. And we'll still love you no matter what. Yes. Now, as we head into the fourth year of our show, crazy, um, we're going to take a slightly longer gap between episodes than we normally do. And that is only because our next episode is going to be our next Friday the 13th special. Yes. And uh, if you don't know, the Friday the 13th special is a usually annual 
episode where when Friday the 13th rolls around on that calendar, Miss Mel and I tackle the next installment in the Friday the 13th franchise. This next Friday the 13th, we will be covering the fourth installment, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. One of the most misleading titles ever. Yes. Listen, we're slowly working our way to Jason X. Yes, I did. I have calculated when, which Friday the 13th we would finally get to Jason X. I have. I've, <sighs> oh, they couldn't see my little victory emoji. <laughs> yeah, that very much works. So be on the lookout for that. We always have a good time when one of our Friday the 13th episodes rolls around. And until we tackle the final chapter, we want to remind you guys to keep up the creep. And for now, we're going to say au revoir, adios, and dasvidaniya.